0: This is Box to Box Stoppage Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh,
1: what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And
0: Hoyt's Herbs and Spices.
1: Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fine!
0: Hello and welcome to Box to Box. Stoppage time. Before we go through the highlights of the past week, the teams, the moments of the week, and plenty more. But before we get into Derek's rundown, as we usually do, with the World Cup only days away, we're going to kick off with a chat to a man who was a regular on Box to Box in the early days. Uh, he keeps himself busy in football. He's self-described uh, freelance journalist and failed footballer. Aren't we all? Uh, but regular contributor to the Green and Gold Army, Ben Sumford. How are you, Ben?
2: Yeah, good. Thanks, Rob. Yourself?
0: Yeah real good mate uh, just like everybody else who's got an interest in the round ball uh, are very excited about the world cup um there's just some magic in the air when you you know the world cup's going to come come on we look forward to it for so long and then there's this avalanche of games that are played 24 uh, 7 pretty much uh, the the timing of the games is, is pretty good uh, but in, in so far as as your observations you've been in and around many world cups for a long long time now uh the uh, uh the world cup uh from an australian point of view and and the australian team point of view uh, your hopes and and Optimistic expectations and realistic expectations for the way the soccerers are going to, to uh, negotiate the group with uh, France, Tunisia, and Denmark.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you look at our qualifying campaign, it wasn't overly convincing or compelling, um, getting there. So I think ambition really in Qatar is at best to get through. I think anyone, anyone would say that. Um, and it does look tough. France and Denmark are probably the favorites to get through in the group. So, um, I think we're all hoping we can sneak a result against the French first up and then knock off Tunisia somehow and um, do what we need to do in the final game. But uh, I think I think expectations are relatively low, kind of just happy to be there in this one. Uh, and looking at the squad selection, it kind of feels like there's a nod to the future as well. So um, makes makes a bit of sense in that in that way. But uh, I think if, if we got through the knockouts, we'd all be pretty happy.
3: Ben, we've got a squad of 26. Now I need you to help us pick a starting 11. Defensively, uh, form and fitness has come uh, in a burst really, particularly for the, uh, for the center backs. And you got, you keep an eye uh, on uh, on how these guys go at club level closer than most. Uh, Wright, Sutar, Rolls, Deng, and Degenek have uh, ultimately left saint behind. We know Arnie's a an unashamed fan of, of Suter. Pumps up his tyres at every opportunity he gets, uh, and we also know of the immense job that Wright and Rolls did in Qatar in June in those final two qualifiers. So, which do you? Uh, which way do you see that going? Do you see those those three as the primary three?
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we might have a preferred 11, but the games all come thick and fast. So there's going to be a bit of changing. And, and the three games will probably be three different games tactically. Um, in saying that, I think Harry Suter is, is got to be the first choice centre-back. He did get back and play a game last week, got rested on the weekend. So, you know, you hope he can he can get through the first game. Probably Probably needs to be rested for the second game, but... Um, he would be a starting choice, along with, I'd probably go Kai I just given his, his recent form. I know he was out for two months injured, um, but his form has been really good. He looks like he's full of confidence. His performance in those playoffs back in June was was really good. So those two get the inside running. I, I feel like Bailey Wright, is, um, he's a good leader in the background, but I'm not sure he should be someone we trust in the World Cup just yet. Um, I was surprised he got the nod over Trent Sainsbury, just given what Sainsbury can bring. Um, and I see, I see Deng as probably someone who's a bit more um, versatile. We can play right back if we need. Um, and Degenex in, in the mix, but uh, I do see Suter and Rowse being preferred too. So.
3: The midfield looks probably the most straightforward part of the park to select, so given Irvine, Moy, and Rustich are all considerably more senior than McGree, uh, Backus, and Devlin. Backus and Devlin perhaps the two surprises in the squad. Do you see it that way? Uh, and as you say, I mean, the games are going to come thick and fast, but particularly for that first game against France, you see uh, that being our starting midfield?
2: I think so, yeah. And I guess Aiden Rustich's fitness is going to be something we really need to monitor. Um, he was probably out for a month with that ankle ligament damage. And, uh, he was in the Verona squad on Sunday. So it suggests he's fit, but obviously he's missed a bit of footy. Um, so if he's not, you know, hundred percent, they may start with McGree and bring on Rustich as an impact sub, but you'd suggest that's the preferred three, the uh, Irvine, Moy and and Rustich.
3: And up front, Duke, McLaren, Cummings, but no Adam Taggart. So how do you think Arnie assigns the load in terms of starting and, and coming off the bench for impact? We know he usually likes to play his first striker for 60, 65 minutes and then bring someone off the pine.
2: Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise not seeing Taggart in there, but I guess um, Cummings is a potential impact sub, but I think that's what he's there for, a bit of the unknown. Um, I, I've really liked Mitch Duke's work for the Green and Gold um, over the last throughout the qualifying campaign, to be honest. Um, and I, I think, you know, against France, we've got to be relying on someone to hold up play when we get forward. So he he ticks that box for the first game, definitely. And then you may need to just see how it goes and how the fitness is. But I think he's got to be the first choice uh, man up front for the first game.
3: And just finally, I know we, I know it's time to look forward, but just to look back quickly, how do you reflect on the international careers to this point of Taggart, Sainsbury and and Tom Rogic? Uh, and I guess you could throw Maslawongo into this mix as well. You watch them closely, and these have been guys that have been in and around our national teams through junior setup uh, for over a decade now, and you probably can't bemoan the fact that they're not, but I know this week I felt like I'm sort of mourning the careers of guys that have been sort of prominent players for so long, but perhaps haven't quite hit the heights, Say for Sainsbury maybe winning the 2015 Asian Cup, but it just feels slightly unfulfilled that they're now sort of in their in their prime really from 28 to 30, and they're not even in our best 26, let alone our, our starting 11 at a World Cup.
2: Yeah, I'm reluctant to throw a blanket over all those guys, and they're certainly in different stages of their career. I think, I think Rogic is a huge shame not to be in Qatar. You know, I think six months ago, he was in the Scottish Premiership uh, Team of the Year, and uh, winning the, you know, the, the Premiership with, with Celtic, and now he's you know barely playing for West Brom. And yeah, that, that is a real shame for him. It does feel like a bit of a waste, but you, you kind of hope he can get himself back on the park and maybe in that Asian Cup squad next year. I wouldn't put a line through um, any of those guys, to be honest. Maybe maybe Luonga, I'm not sure where he's at these days. He's barely getting a look in at Middlesbrough. Um, I suppose Sainsbury's a real curious one. The way he's been he's been a real nomad with his club career, he's never really settled down, um, which has probably not helped him. You look at someone like Jackson Irvin, who was kind of doing the same thing in Europe for a few clubs and then finally found St Pauli and has probably never been in better form Kind of always been the knock-on saying he's never had any continuity, and as a result, I feel like the last nine months his decline has been quite visible with the national team, and people were calling for him not to be in the starting lineup. But to not even be in the squad was a bit of a shock. Um, so I mean, it's it's a it's a probably a good reality check for him. He's playing in Qatar, not the strongest league. He might need to reevaluate what he does next.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and um, and and there are stories uh, across that age range of players, uh, both domestically and, and playing in, in some of the, well, not lesser leagues, but next tier down. But a guy that's not gonna to have to ask any of those questions is, is probably likely to be the only uh, bloke apart from Jared Gillette, who's refereeing in the Premier League, who, who might even get a start, probably be farmed out when he arrives at Newcastle, is Garen Kowal. I mean, do, do you see Arnie having the the kahunas to, to say, listen, Personally, this might be the only World Cup I get to. I've got this young bloke who may or may not end up being a superstar. I'm I'm just going to leave everything out on the pitch and uh, and if if we're remotely in need of uh, of a goal or a breakthrough or or, or or something just to mix it up, just to get this young bloke out there and say, mate, listen, just do what you can do, and 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 we'll either see him the emergence of a potential star or he. I don't know. I don't see him falling flat on his face. He looks too confident for that.
2: No, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think he's there to play. I'd be really surprised if he didn't play. Um, you know, the idea of him coming off the bench 20 minutes in every game is is exciting. And um, opposition sides won't know what to expect. They've barely seen him. He's something new. He's full of confidence. He's got that real, that uh, naivety, uh, naivety of that youth. And they're just full of uh, enthusiasm, confidence, and they don't know... Mm any better. Um, so mm. I really think he, he should play all three games. Um, a similar kind of vein to Arzani four yes, years ago I mean. where mm. you know he kind of was thrown on and obviously we know his career didn't go great after that, but his impact at that World Cup was really exciting and mm. he kind of mm. gave us something. It was a shame we didn't get a goal or two out of it, but mm. um, I, I do see Kuo getting games and um, it's I know he's got a contract with Newcastle, but it's just a great opportunity for him to be on the world stage and you know really announce himself.
0: Yeah, one bloke who was a combination with Azani in that World Cup was Jackson Irvine, probably providing a lot of that uh, service for him. So hopefully he might be able to translate it to koala and get some better results. Hey, Ben, uh, we'll let you go, mate. Thanks for, for jumping on and having a yarn. We're all uh, uh, counting down the uh, the minutes before kick-off of the tournament and uh, we'll be up uh, very early next Wednesday morning, uh to, to just see whether the, the Socceroos can be as competitive and maybe hopefully a little more competitive they were against France last time where they almost shocked the ultimate world champions.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure, boys. Make sure you get plenty of sleep before it because we're going to be short for the next month.
0: <laughs> we, uh, ben Summerford, freelance Uh Well, he, he calls himself a failed footballer, but aren't we all? None of us uh, got to wear the green and gold, but he does right for the green and gold army, and he does it very well. Ben Summerford. Now, Derek, we'll uh, we'll get back to the the normal sort of rundown of, of stoppage time. Um, we uh, we talked about uh, England and Wales earlier in the week. We talked about Australia. Now, I mean, we could just go through every country in the tournament and do a show in its own right, but uh, uh, we're going to reflect on on the last week, and I guess uh, the the game of the week uh, this time next week. Uh, well, will there be a game of the week to talk about this time next week? That's a question uh, without notice. Probably be a domestic one. But uh, but you chose an absolute blockbuster. But I've got one apology for the game of the week at the end. But uh, that Spurs-Leeds match was a was a brilliant game, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, for the second week in a row, we've uh, gone with a match with Leeds in it. Uh, they are always the entertainers. Even when they were with Bielsa, they were always getting involved in these uh, Humdinger games. I think probably just Jesse Ma should, you know, give anything just for some boring one nils and some two ones. But yes, uh, Spurs, um, despite all of Leeds' best efforts, uh, managed to get through in this game 4-3. Uh, um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a uh, bent encore for Spurs in the end, their kind of conductor in midfield that scored two goals at the end to, uh to put Spurs four three up, and it will take them into the World Cup break in really good spirits. Uh, they're not, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're they're they they're high up the table. They're in the conversation when it comes to the uh, the, the you know the title race and also uh, the European places. And for for Jesse Marsh, it's another one of those what could have been weeks. I don't think they can afford to do it too many more times this season. Uh, I think Leeds will be okay. though they're, they're, they're going to the break probably in a better place than they were a few weeks ago.
0: And Derek, what's your assessment of Spurs so far? I know uh, as much as it uh, runs against the grain for you to compliment it, but since you're sitting in that sort of stratospheric uh, end of, of the, the Premier League ladder, you can probably deign to be a little bit uh, generous to your uh, much-hated foes.
1: Oh, They're a problem, for sure. I mean, yes, Arsenal's current form is excellent, but it's only as good as what everyone else is doing. And uh, I keep waking up in the morning and I keep seeing headlines like last-minute goal, Spurs snatch, snatch late win, and they've done it a few times this season now. So, you know, regardless of what you say about Conte and the style of play, Spurs, have, as I said, they're, they're in the conversation. They've been doing a lot of it without Son they'll be hoping that he comes back uh from the world cup uh, with uh you know in- improved confidence and and fitness as well and harry kane just keeps scoring goals and when you have a striker like that up front you can you can build a season around that so look I'd- yeah they're um they're, you know they're doing well spurs and as i said i think they're going to be in the conversation as we get into the the final leg of the season—that's for sure.
0: Yeah, we've got a lot to look forward to after the World Cup. It's going to be a cracking end to to, to the season. Uh, Willem, I know you've got a contribution to the game of the week, but uh, I was out at uh, one of uh, my older son Thomas's best mate's twenty-first happy birthday, Julius, uh, and uh, and when we we're driving home, the the Brentford City match was on, and uh, I had to do a double take when I, I heard that. Uh, um, that Brentford were leading away and sort of made sense. You've got a spurned striker who, who felt that he might have had a, um, a, a and should have had a genuine claim to being in, in the English squad. Uh, so Ivan Tony scores 16 minutes in. So I get home, turn the TV on, and and just as you'd expected, uh, City scored right on the death. Phil Foden absolute pile driver a minute into uh, uh, into uh, uh, stoppage time in the first half and then you think, oh, I know the way this is going to go. So I go to bed, wake up the next morning, but don't check the score and just watch the highlights package. And I'm thinking, oh, they might even get away with this with a, with a draw, only for Ivan Tony to step up eight minutes into stoppage time at the end of the game. Now, I know in the main show, I referred to uh, a bit of bruise-free football from the likes of Manchester City. So I, I've got to ask the question, do you Think that Pep Guardiola may, may have felt that that was the case with his team on home ground, um, who, who players that uh, that were playing and will be playing for uh, countries around the world, uh, who who might have uh, just taken five percent off uh, their gas and um, and 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 just opened that little window.
1: So his form has been interesting. Yeah, we've we've noticed the um them kind of marauding to victory uh, earlier in in the season, but. They only really got past uh, Fulham at home as well. Uh, they were down to 10 men and that was uh, quite a tricky fixture for them. They uh, went to King Power Stadium as well and only won, I say only, only won 1-0 at um, at Leicester. So um, you have to kind of go back as far as Southampton at the beginning of October where they won 4-0, where they had a, a comprehensive victory. And of course, between that time, they also lost to Liverpool too. So... I think you can potentially point at uh, wandering wandering minds as the World Cup comes, but there are plenty of teams, whether they be Arsenal, Newcastle and, and some others in form in the league that have international quality players and and, and they didn't seem to have um, been too affected. So I would also point to just a, a slight slump in form, even though with, the, with all those wins. Um, and I think this was coming and uh, Brentford really took advantage. Willem, uh, you had another game of the week.
0: No wandering mind
3: for Garen Kual at Central Coast Stadium, Rob. There's something about that stadium at the moment that just has the magic dust. Every time there's a match at uh, uh, with the palm trees and the sauce bottles, it's it's absolutely gripping. It was the Mariners 2, MacArthur 3. Uh, it was the Bulls 2 goals and a man up at halftime. Daniel Elder, unfortunately, uh, coming under fire for his referee. There was a pretty soft uh, red card handed out. And there was also a penalty that was awarded uh, where... Advantage was not allowed to be played, and Jason Cummings had the ball uh, in the net. Anyway, it was again Quoll off the bench, uh, despite being a man down, who put it in the back of the net twice. The second one, an absolute scorcher, uh, and I can't recall seeing a game where the uh, the side with ten men dominated the side with eleven, uh, and it all looked to be building towards a, a Mariners winner. When the Mariners perhaps pushed too many forward at a corner, and on the uh, on the break it was the Bulls and Jed Drew, who's a, a nineteen year old who not too many would uh, would know about, uh, who. Put one in the back of the net for a very deserved winner. He was excellent. And, uh, Dwight York's side they won the Australia Cup. Uh, it's a, it's a very exciting attacking side. They haven't quite had the results early, so that's a huge three points uh, for a game that they were that they were leading two goals up. Uh, yeah, a, a big three points heading into the break. So that for me was uh,
0: was absolutely the game of the week from a league perspective. Yeah, and uh, and, and well judged, and, and what timing for uh, for Garen Kowal as well. Uh, now um, team of the week, um, Derek. Um, are you finally going to do it?
1: Yeah, I will, Rob. And although with the caveat that I've gone for uh, a joint team of the week, it would be no surprise to our regular listeners that I've finally gone for Arsenal this time. This was after a relatively routine uh, 2-0 victory over Wolves, uh, which meant that they go into the uh, the, the World Cup break, uh, top of the Premier League. There'll be five points clear at Christmas Games will be resuming on Boxing Day, so that that does feel a, a little way away. Wolves did give them some problems, despite being the bottom side. But Odegaard scored the two goals, two captains' goals, and Arsenal on the whole looked relatively comfortable. I didn't, I didn't get, wasn't getting too concerned uh, watching it on my sofa. But on reflection, just looking at this start of the season, they've played fourteen games, they've uh 112 drawn one lost one that's arsenal's best start ever to a premier league, uh, to any top division season to any season um and anyone that's had a start like this has gone on to win the league so while uh you know five points back to manchester city seven back to newcastle and eight back to tottenham uh there is you know i think probably for me at least to some of those teams that might be competitive in the top four. It's all about building the gap from them more than anything else. But um, yeah, I was a bit shocked like you, Rob, when uh, the Bees got the job done at the Etihad and then it was nice to wake up and watch Arsenal with the win. So Arsenal are the team of the week, really not because of the the game that they just played. It's because of this string of results that they've managed to put together uh, over the course of the season. And they're only matched by, you know, in European terms, by Napoli, who in fact have a marginally better uh, uh, record in Serie A. They've played 15 games, so one more than Arsenal, but they've won 13 and drawn two, and they've lost zero at the moment. So they're on the the way to a potential invincible season in Serie A. They're eight points clear of AC Milan, ten clear of Juventus. Juventus, by the way, five wins on the bounce, they, they were looking pretty bad under Allegri um, and obviously crashed out the Champions League, but five wins in a row takes them up to third. And then you've got Lazio and Inter on 30 points, uh, a distant 11 points back. So uh, Napoli dominating Serie A, they're, they're a team of not necessarily celebrated players. You know, they lost a lot of their their iconic players like Koulibaly, Dries Mertens, uh, Insigne have, have, have all gone, but they've been replaced um, by the likes of Victor Osimhen, Pietro Zielinski uh, Lazar Samardzic um, uh, are all all doing well for for Napoli and uh, good on Luciano Spalletti. He's been around the block, around the traps at uh, Serie A, but he could be on track for a uh, first Serie A title for Napoli since 19. 19- 19, of course, that was when Diego Armando Maradona was playing for the club. So, joint teams of the week, Arsenal and Napoli, Rob.
0: Yep, no, fair, fair call and, and good assessment there as well. I was talking to a friend of mine at that 21st, and uh, 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 a telephile. He's uh, um, the father of Massimo uh, Aquara, who was uh, on the show with my boy Thomas a couple of years ago, went back. We were in the Three um, AW Studio days, and uh, we were talking about Napoli and uh, and and how partisan the Napoli fans are, and uh, and and how. Uh, Many of them in, in a recent trip that he spoke to just didn't care the fact that Italy didn't hadn't made it that uh, um, that they were they were just going for for the countries uh, uh, where Napoli had a, a player representing um, and uh, and were. Um, were uh, not uh, disappointed at all. And if you're wondering why, just watch that Maradona uh, documentary and, and you'll see um, why they have a particular view of the rest of the country or at least some of the Napoletani. Uh Willem, you had a contribution as well for the Team of the Week?
3: Yeah, so my Team of the Week is the Wanderers, Rob. I'm not convinced they're back as a club. I'm not convinced that the side is good enough just yet to, uh, to go all the way and knock off Manchester City. But for the first time in probably six or seven years, uh, they certainly give us giving us something to, uh, to think about. They sit second heading into, uh, into the World Cup break. Uh, they knocked off Sydney FC 1-0. Uh, they've got some solid players, Marcelo and Mercello, look like a, a, a big, strong defensive centre-back pairing. Lawrence Thomas, one of my all-time favourite goalkeepers, uh, Ninkovic and Callum Neuwenhoff, two ex-Sydney FC players at opposite ends of their careers, but both very, very crafty indeed. And Callum Neuwenhoff, uh, certainly who, uh, one whose uh, career looks headed for the, uh, for the top level. Uh, and Brandon Borello there as well, sometimes Socceroo but it's never been Rob, talent that's been the issue for the Wanderers, it's been the uh, the fact that no one ever hangs around too long, it's always a revolving door and it's always uh, somewhat disappointing, so Mark Rudin, or Marco Rudin as he's uh, called these days yeah. is, uh, is getting a tune out of them and uh, the other big part of the Wanderers to consider is always the off-field stuff and the scenes when cassini Yengi scored that goal. The RBB in, uh, in full force was exceptional. They have packed out derbies over the years, but then have struggled to do, uh, to do otherwise in the new Parramatta uh, since that changeover. So, as I said, I'm not fully convinced that it's back yet, but you've described them as the, uh, the latent sleeping giant. And, uh, yeah, hopefully things can continue to
0: roll on because goodness knows uh, the league needs them back to their best. Yeah, well, we need those little... Uh minute-and-a-half highlight packages to be seen by the rest of Australia in the Sunday evening news bulletins rather than empty stadiums when, uh, you know, I, I won a goal scored. That's that's the best form of advertising for, for the league and uh, and gets those Euro snobs to start to think, oh, there must be something worth watching. I might go along to a game. Um now a moment of the week. I, I I love the fact that you've um you've chosen a Liverpudli and uh, uh well he, he I think he could probably be described as a journeyman um, although he has been at Liverpool for quite a while now.
1: Yeah, well he's a he's a proud Yorkshireman, I'm sure Rob. But yeah, he's currently a Liverpudlian now, and that's James Milner. And my moment was really just the fact that he made his. Six hundredth Premier League appearance in Liverpool's win over Southampton. Uh, he joins an elite club. Only three other players have reached the six hundred appearance mark in the Premier League. Have you guys got any ideas who the other three are? Six hundred players. Um, Some Can I jump in, please, Rob? I'll go for it,
3: Will.
0: Or do you want to paper, scissors,
3: rock to see who goes first?
0: Uh, yeah, no, well, well, I've already named one, uh, Alan Shearer. But uh, oh, did you uh, say Shearer? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm no. So Derek shaking his head. Uh, I, I was going to throw up a few others, but you, you, can jump in.
3: Can I please jump in on Gary Barry? Gareth Barry
1: is is one. Yes. Um,
3: and maybe gigs.
1: Gigs is two, and the other is uh, Frank. Frank Lampard is the. Uh, Third one, and uh, James Milner will be the fourth to reach six hundred games. This uh, start career started all the way back twenty years ago, playing for his boyhood club, League United. He scored a goal. Remember, he was was the youngest player to score in the Premier League. He probably isn't now, but at the time, I think seventeen years old. And some days uh, he played nearly hundred games for Newcastle United. So uh, seventy three games. At Villa, in fact, when you can combine the loan, hundred games at Villa. So this is a guy who doesn't just jump around. He's kind of well traveled, but he's puts in the shifts. I think it just proves that he is uh, almost an ever an, an ever present as well. When he does play, he was then at Manchester City for five years at the start of that uh, era when the money started to come into the uh, to the club. Um, 447 appearances there. And then when he signed for Liverpool in 2015, you might have been thought to think that this was a kind of shrewd signing for for Liverpool, maybe get a few years out of him before moving him on. But he's been there for seven years now. Uh, He's played all over the park. He's obviously instrumental in bringing that first league title uh, back to Anfield in some time. So, look, he's been under pressure this season. A lot of people have been pointing at players like him for pointing at Liverpool's downturn and this this sort of ageing squad, mature squad that Liverpool has. But 600 games is a fantastic result, and I'm sure he'll want to play a few more as well.
0: And uh, to, uh, to swing the pendulum to another 600-game player who... Uh, has played nearly 200 games at various age groups for his national side. He's uh, the man who uh, who headlines your Hot Topic of the Week. Uh, uh, I'm just going to set it up a little bit with uh, um, the the Piers Morgan interview that to, to discloses this. So he's written an article in the Sun. So Cristiano Ronaldo has had enough. He's had enough of the sniping, the sneering, and the endless blame game bullshit that's been flung at him over the past Few months, it's come from the media, his bosses, work colleagues, and even former teammates. It goes on. So when you go to Piers Morgan to uh, to have the fireside chat, Derek, um, you're not expecting sort of a you know a Frostex esque style sort of uh, you know sort of a, a discussion, which is uh, uh, even handed and, and not designed for the the, the top uh, headlines. Um, quite the
1: Yeah, interesting decision to pick Piers Morgan, that bastion of Uh, civility and a paragon of virtue at at, uh, all times. And uh, as you said, he did conduct a 90 minute interview with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and maybe um, Damien can get some sort of violin music starting to play as a bed underneath this section, because we're going to hear a a story about heartache and, and tribulations over a player that's just trying to, trying to do his job. You know, we thought, we thought things were bad for Ronaldo in the Premier League and there have been stories following him all season, but you know he has decided to put his view on records. And uh, the main talking points, as I could see, were that he, the club, are trying to force him out. He's taken big exception uh, to that. He said, and I think this was the most incendiary quote: "The Ten uh, Hag, I don't have respect for him because he didn't show respect for me. If you don't have respect for me, I'm never going to have respect for you." Which sounds like a terrible. R and B song or something, <laughs> um, and and yeah, like quite quite playground and and trivial. Uh, he's not he's not satisfied with the quality of conditions at Manchester United uh, when he returned in 2021. He was shocked to see a lack of improvements at the club. in Terms of the facilities, nutrition was not up to scratch. Technology around the place. He said the jacuzzis haven't even changed, which of course is um, devastating for for everyone to hear that the the jacuzzis at United are not up to scratch. Um, And then on Ranić, he said he's not even a coach. How are you going to be the boss of Manchester United? I've never heard of him. So a good analysis of Austria manager, Ralph Ranić. And uh, I think he fat shamed Wayne Rooney on the way through uh, by saying that uh, you know, I'm not going to say I look better than him, which is true, which again, doesn't really make sense as a sentence. So yeah, um, quite quite the interview. Um, he is not just on a drive by, he's got out the car and he's just shot 100 bullets into everyone and then, and then drove off into the sunset. And uh, Willem, what do you think of this?
3: Oh, uh, well, yeah. For mine, the most amusing part was the uh, the drive-by on Wazza. That's not fair at all. Uh, but on a serious note, Derek, I guess it is just sad when... I mean, Ronaldo's on the, on the plane and has the level of fame and the accolades that he does through his hard work and through his footballing ability. But it is sad when someone occupies a space like this where their head is clearly so big and they're so far removed from reality that they are just completely out of line, basically. Um, so you... You see this as being, you know, he, he won't take the field again for Manchester United. I mean, that seems pretty obvious, but you, you see that uh, playing out. He's obviously fired his fired his shots here because he's uh, he's not going to return.
1: Oh, he's hit the nuclear button. I, I don't I don't see how under Ten Hag as manager and United have been doing okay recently as well, with or without Cristiano Ronaldo. And the questions you've got to have now is, you know, who's going to want to sign him after that? Who's going to want to take that? enormous piece of baggage on which manager is going to want to have to deal with him uh, in the changing room I mean look to be honest with you some of the stuff that he said had some credibility I think he was right about Ranick in a way I mean that was a very bizarre decision a bizarre appointment for Manchester United, uh, the club hasn't been well run for some time. You know, jacuzzis aside, it you can see that Manchester United have not kind of kept up with the times. Uh, it's, it's obvious that they've been in a, you know, a um a stagnant position, and he really just went back there because United were really the only club that were crazy enough to pay him the wages that he wanted. And a phone call from Alex Ferguson, I bet Man City, uh, if even if that was a a thing of them going to City. I bet they're pretty pleased about it now. He probably has damaged his reputation in some people's eyes. There are Ronaldo fanatics, and particularly at Manchester United, where he couldn't do anything anything wrong. But his behaviour has been petulant enough this season. He's refused to come on as a substitute. I think when he realised he wasn't going to come on as a sub, he just walked down the tunnel and then just drove off before the players had even got back to the got back to the dressing room um, and I think Haag has done the right thing freezing him out. I mean absolutely the right thing uh, freezing him out. The sense of self entitlement and arrogance which I think we honestly knew was there is uh, about as embarrassing as that statue of him in Madeira Airport to be <laughs> honest with you. So United you know, need to get rid and I think Ronaldo's done a huge favour by coming out. Uh, i this, you know, any link, you know, this is easy for United now. As long as they can pay him off, he'll be gone.
0: And, and look, I, I've got to say, you guys have, you know, have set this story out beautifully, and and um, and hung, drawn, and quartered him uh, deservedly. But um, when you look at this article in the Sun that Piers Morgan's written, um, and and to just it almost appeared to leverage the tragedy of the loss of. Um, his baby son um, during childbirth um, earlier this year to to garner further sympathy. Sort of, it it it, it takes the um the, the nature of the story to a new low. I mean, human tragedy happens to uh, to all of us in one form or another. Um, this is a football story set aside, and and Morgan seems to be trying to draw uh, analogies and and and. Pull threads together on the uh, well, as he describes, lack of respect at Manchester United with the the heartbreak and the lack of empathy allegedly shown by the club, which is patently absurd. That any uh, a human being who wasn't a sociopath wouldn't uh, provide somebody all of the support that he required and needed. Obviously, he didn't come to Australia and 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 the, the entrails weren't dug over. That he, uh, you know, he came to to pre-season training late, so it, clearly. Um, there was a lot of empathy, but, uh, yeah, if, if there's a little drive by from me towards the end, it's to, uh, um, Piers Morgan, who, uh, look, he's entertaining, um, in, in the way that a clown is entertaining, um, in the way that it does absurd things, uh, for your amusement, um, but he does it, uh, uh with the benefit of a microphone and a television screen. So, uh, so poo poo to you Piers and, um, and I guess we'll watch the train wreck of the interview when it eventually does uh, uh, end up on TV, gentlemen. But um, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. I've already said farewell to you in the, the show earlier in the week, but I'll say bon voyage again. Uh, have a fantastic trip, and the next time we talk to you, you'll be over there in Qatar. Can't wait. Won't be too long, and I'll speak to you again. Good on you, mate. Derek, thank you. Excellent work as always.
1: Yeah, well, well, good luck, Willem. Very jealous of you heading over there. And uh, yes, we'll try and revamp the time over the next couple of weeks to fit the World Cup. Mm -hmm. If any of our listeners have ideas, do uh, drop us a line on Twitter or something, but we will come up with something slightly different. For the next few weeks,
0: yeah, yeah, good idea. We we'll just want to keep it as contextually relevant as possible, um, and and make sure you uh, you do uh, look out for your feed during the week. We've got a great chat with Julie Dolan, the number one Matilda, and, and her history and backstory, which uh, is a little bit difficult to piece together. There's no biography on Julie Dolan, and I do hope that that's rectified. We're going to try and get a push behind that, but have a listen to that podcast and make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box Stoppage Time, and that very Box to Box Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box. NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as each of those podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.